Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Hey everybody, it's AG and welcome to Refried Beans, where we play an episode of the Daily Beans podcast from the same week, either one, two, or three years ago, so we can see how far we've come. So please enjoy this episode from Days Gone By and note the date in the intro. Refried beans. I like refried beans. That's why I want to try fried beans, because maybe they're just as good and we're, we're wasting time. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, January 14th, 2022. Today, the Department of Justice charges Oathkeeper Stuart Rhodes and 10 others with seditious conspiracy. The Supreme Court strikes down some of Biden's vaccine mandates. The RNC signals they are unwilling to participate in presidential debates. The Select Committee subpoenas social media companies. The Queen strips Prince Andrew of his military affiliations and royal patronages. Ghislaine Maxwell removes her objection to unseal the names of John Doe's in the Epstein case, and Kirsten Cinema slams the door on voting rights. For now, I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Amy Carrero. Happy Friday. Hi, Amy. Happy Friday. How you doing? How you doing? Oh, my God. Today is such a huge news day, especially in the investigation yep. of the conspiracy to stop the certification of Biden's victory. Yes. I'm going to cover that story today. And then this weekend on Mueller, she wrote, I'm going to go into details in the 48 page indictment of Oathkeeper leader Stuart Rhodes and 10 others for seditious conspiracy. Mm. Now, later today, I'm going to be joined by two of the three brothers from Midas Touch. Some news of note today before we get into the hot notes themselves. The Senate on Tuesday passed a bipartisan bill to award the Congressional Gold Medal posthumously to Emmett Till. The teenager savagely killed in 1955 by white supremacists in Mississippi and his mother, Mamie Till Mobley. And Joe Biden emerged from a meeting today with the Dem caucus expressing doubt that we will be able to pass voting rights legislation as Kirsten Sinema delivered a speech slamming the door on a filibuster carve out. The House has passed this legislation today and will send it over to the Senate, which will be forced to debate it under this process that requires debate for bills that are sent as messages for a third time to the opposite chamber. 
But ultimately, the Senate would need 51 votes to overcome the filibuster to pass the bill, and they simply do not have those votes at this time. However, Joe Biden, as we speak, is meeting at the White House with Manchin and Cinema. So that's where we are with all that. All right, with that, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, top story today from the Department of Justice. A federal grand jury in the District of Columbia has returned an indictment which was unsealed today, charging 11 defendants with seditious conspiracy and other charges for crimes related to the breach of the U.S. Capitol January 6th, which disrupted a joint session of the U.S. Congress that was in the process of ascertaining and counting the electoral votes related to the presidential election. According to court documents, Elmer Stewart Rhodes III, 56 of Granbury, Texas, who is the founder and leader of the Oath Keepers, and Edward Vallejo, 63, of Phoenix, Arizona, are being charged for the first time in connection with the events leading up to and including January 6th. Rhodes was arrested this morning in Little Elm, Texas, and Vallejo was arrested this morning in Phoenix. The seditious conspiracy indictment alleges that, following the election, Rhodes conspired with his co-defendants and others to oppose by force the execution of the laws governing the transfer of presidential power by January 20th, 2021. Beginning in late December 2020, via encrypted and private communications applications, Rhodes and various co-conspirators coordinated and planned to travel to Washington, D.C. on or around January 6th, the date of the certification of the Electoral College vote, and uh, Rhodes and several co-conspirators made plans to bring weapons to the area to support the operation. The co-conspirators then traveled across the country to D.C. in early of January 2021. According to the seditious conspiracy indictment, the defendants conspired through a variety of manners and means, including organizing into teams that were prepared and willing to use force and to transport firearms and ammunition into Washington, D.C., recruiting members and affiliates to participate in the conspiracy, organizing trainings to teach and learn paramilitary combat tactics, bringing and contributing paramilitary gear, weapons, and supplies, including knives, batons, camouflage combat uniforms, tactical vests with plates, helmets, eye protection, and radio equipment to the Capitol grounds, breaching and attempting to take control of the Capitol grounds and building on January 6, 2021, in an effort to prevent, hinder, and delay the certification of the Electoral College vote using force against law enforcement officers while inside the Capitol on January 6th, continuing to plot after January 6, 2021, to oppose by force the lawful transfer of presidential power, and using websites, social media, text messaging, and encrypted messaging applications to communicate with co-conspirators and others. Now, the charge of seditious conspiracy carries a statutory maximum penalty of 20 years in prison and up to $20,000 in fines. A federal district court judge will determine any sentence after considering the U.S. sentencing guidelines and other statutory factors. As you know, Amy, I've been a a pretty staunch defender of the Department of Justice. Oh, yeah, baby. Let's look at your Twitter timeline. Okay. (laughs) But I kind of underestimated him. Ooh, I okay. thought that they would stick with obstructing an official proceeding, mm. right? 18 U.S. Yep. Code 1512 C2, because seditious conspiracy is a very, very hard to prove. Mm-hmm. This indictment is very thorough and it shows Garland is not going to shy away from difficult cases and difficult charges. Well, we love to hear it. I mean, I would have preferred not any of this to happen, but Correct. if it was going to happen... <laughs> I'm glad that a, you know, we it seems like we've all underestimated Garland. And for that, I'm very happy about. Okay, next up, the Supreme Court on Thursday blocked the Biden administration from enforcing its sweeping vaccine or test requirements for large private companies, but allowed similar requirements to stand for medical facilities that take Medicare or Medicaid payments. The ruling came three days after the Occupational Safety and Health Administration's emergency measure started to take effect. The mandate required that businesses with 100 or more employees must get vaccinated or submit a negative COVID test weekly to enter the workplace. It also required unvaccinated workers to wear masks indoors at work. Liberal justices Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan dissented, writing that the majority seriously misapplies the applicable legal standards in halting the mandate from taking effect. Shocker. Mm. In a separate, simultaneously released ruling on the administration's vaccine rules for healthcare workers, a 5-4 majority wrote, quote, We agree with the government that the Health and Human Services Secretary's rule falls within the authorities of Congress has conferred upon him. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Justice Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Amy Coney Barrett dissented from that ruling. <laughs> I fucking hate those guys. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. Yeah. Mm, big shocker. Now, in other news, Chairman Benny Thompson today announced that the select committee investigating January 6th has issued subpoenas to four social media companies as part of its investigation into the January 6th attack on the Capitol and its causes. After inadequate responses to prior requests for information, the select committee is demanding records from Alphabet, that's Google's parent company, Meta, that's Facebook's parent company, Reddit and Twitter relating to the spread of misinformation, efforts to overturn the 2020 election, domestic violent extremism and foreign influence in the 2020 election. Chairman Thompson issued the following statement. Two key questions for the select committee are how the spread of misinformation and violent extremism contributed to the violent attack on our democracy and what steps, if any, social media companies took to prevent their platforms from being breeding grounds for radicalizing people to violence. It's disappointing that after months of engagement, we still do not have the documents and information necessary to answer those basic questions. The select committee is working to get answers for the American people and help ensure nothing like January 6th ever happens again. We cannot allow our important work to be delayed any further. Now, the select committee issued subpoenas for records to the following social media companies. There's four alphabets. YouTube was a platform for significant communications by its users that were relevant to the planning and execution of January 6th attack on the United States Capitol, including live streams of the attack as it was taking place. Oh, for fuck's sake. Meta platforms were reportedly used to share messages of hatred, violence, and incitement to spread misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy theories around the election and to coordinate or attempt to coordinate the Stop the Steal movement. Public mm-hmm. accounts about Facebook's civic integrity team indicate Facebook has documents that are critical to the select committee's investigation and they still haven't fucking given them over. Reddit was a platform for the subreddit, the Donald community. Oh boy. That grew significantly on Reddit before migrating to the website thedonald.win. <clears throat> Can we change it to the thedonald.lost? Dot lost. <laughs> in 2020. Lost and continuing to lose. Which ultimately hosted significant discussions and planning related to January 6th. Twitter subscribers reportedly used the platform for communications regarding the planning and execution of the assault. And Twitter was reportedly warned about potential violence being planned on the site in advance of January 6th. Twitter users also engaged in communications amplifying allegations of election fraud, including by the former president himself. So, oh, man. Well, in more good news, the the Republican National Committee is preparing to change its rules to require presidential candidates seeking the party's nomination to sign a pledge to not participate in any debates sponsored by the Commission on Presidential Debates. Mm -hmm. Am I reading that right? You are. Oh, MG. Okay. Republican committee officials alerted the debate commissioner to their plans in a letter sent on Thursday, a copy of which was obtained by the New York Times. I can't believe this is not fiction. If the change goes forward, it would be one of the most substantial shifts in how presidential and vice presidential debates have been conducted since the commission began organizing debates more than 30 years ago. The nonprofit commission founded by the two parties in 1987 to codify the debates as a permanent part of presidential elections, describes itself as nonpartisan. But Republicans have complained for nearly a decade that the process favors the Democrats, mirroring increasing rancor from conservatives towards Washington-based institutions. This is another step towards autocracy. Yeah, I mean, we, you, we're not going to, you can't debate us. You, you can't question us. That's... Yeah. I mean, would that you think that'll backfire? I know I'm, I I just well, I'm trying. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to play out, but it's it's basically the fascist party in our country saying we don't debate you, you know. Wow, Isn't that bro. messed up. It's scary. Yeah. And yeah. finally, as we know, this past December, Amy, a Manhattan jury in the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell returned guilty verdicts mm-hmm. with five of the six charges against her after six days of deliberations. Maxwell faced federal charges also that include conspiracy violations of the Mann Act and sex trafficking a minor for her role as Jeffrey Epstein's longtime confidant and now convicted accomplice. And again, I know sex trafficking a minor. I know that that's rape, but that's the criminal the charge. name of yeah. the charge. Jufri, right. one of Epstein's many alleged victims, filed a federal lawsuit in New York in August of last year, accusing Prince Andrew of sexually abusing her on multiple occasions when she was 17 years old. Today, the Queen stripped him of all his title, all his military honors, everything. That's that's really huge, it's right? M- that's like a really big deal. I don't think she does that it's often. Major. It's major. 
And Jufri's lawsuit against Alan Dershowitz and his countersuit against her are still also playing out in the Southern District of New York. Now, in a legal brief filed today, Jufri requested that the judge unseal the names of the John Doe's currently kept Mm. out of the public eye, in part due to their complaints of how disruptive the media attention would be to their lives. Not Mm -hmm. that raping a minor disrupts her life. Right. Maxwell has previously fought the unsealing of the legal names of the John Doe's revealed in the still sealed court documents. But in a letter from her lawyer dated January 12th, says Maxwell, quote, does not wish to further address detailed objections submitted by non-party Doe's 17, 53, 54, 55, 73, 93 and 151. Wow. Uh, The fact that Maxwell is no longer interested in keeping these names sealed doesn't mean, of course, they'll be revealed. That decision will be left to Judge Loretta Preska, who is presiding over the case. What it does likely indicate, however, is that now that Maxwell is a convicted felon, she doesn't really care about protecting the names of the John Doe's anymore. Mm -hmm. All right. Wow, wow, wow. That's a lot. Yeah, it was a big news day. And, you know, we record the the news the, the day prior. And and so, you know, usually Fridays are the big news days. That's when we the get the, dumps. the news dumps. And this yeah. is this is Thursday stuff. So I'm I'm interested to see what happens tomorrow. Oh, yeah. All right. We'll be right back with Midas Touch, who we've just joined forces with as a network partner to MSW Media. So Stay rad. Yeah, they're awesome. We'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. Honored to be joined today. By my brothers from another podcast network, Mother <laughs> Ben and Brett Micellus. They host and founded and started Midas Touch. Welcome, guys. How are you? Great. Thanks for having us on the show. How are you doing, Allison? I'm okay. I'm good. Just oddly speaking, getting to speak with you guys today, the news weeks are getting heftier and heftier, I think, as we go on. So I'm, I'm very glad to talk to you guys today. Action-packed, Allison. Action-packed. The fun don't stop. <laughs> well, the way the, the way it was action-packed in the Trump administration for bad reasons, now it feels like action-packed for the good reasons and accountability. So this is the part of the book that I like to read, um, and that other those other chapters will live in infamy. Mm. No, I agree, and it it is kind of nice. Where I think you know we're starting to see a little bit of movement toward well, actually a lot of movement toward accountability and justice. And, you know, I I wanted to commend you guys on your ability to, you know, make noise and get noticed, but also be reasonable. That's a very tricky thing to do. I think it is tricky. And and it always, though, came from a place of being very thoughtful when we created Midas Touch, you know, our backgrounds and our various professional areas. You know, I was an 11-year litigator. Brett comes from an editing background where he ran social media channels for some of the largest television shows. Jordy was a marketer. You know, we we take what we do very, very seriously. We put in the hard work. You know, it's not like it's just tweeting to get attention for the sake of of doing things. You know, it's really deeply understanding the processes, respecting the processes, challenging the processes, and really learning every day and trying to get to the truth. And that's really what brought us to you know, have so much respect for everything you do, Allison, and Muller, she wrote, the podcast network, because there's a level of discipline and seriousness that differentiates the network that you create, which I hope differentiates what we do at Midas Touch, um, which I think is felt in the size of our audiences. But you know, to some people, I don't know if they fully realize the effort, the work, and the level of detail that it takes day in, day out to do some of these podcasts and to create this type of content the way you do. And again, I hope the way we do every day. 100% you do. And that, you know, that is why I respect the work you do so much. I know the work that goes into it. And it's evident in the product that you put out and what you do. And I can tell you from from experience, the listeners know it too and appreciate it as well. And it's one of the reasons that I'm super excited that we are now network partners. Midas Touch and MSW Media are network partners. And I, I, I'm so very excited about that because I think that getting like-minded, politically active, plugged-in people together is going to be what helps us win elections in 2022, 2024 and beyond and get the truth out there in a reasonable, measured, tempered, 
way. And so I, I absolutely 100% think that you that you guys are, are on top of it. And I love every single one of your shows. Tell, tell me a little bit about how you started, when you started Midas Touch, and how that grew into the podcast network. Yeah, so the, it started all in uh, around March 2020. Basically, all of oh, us. What a great month that was! What a it fantastic six years. <laughs> it's still going on. I, th- I think it's still March 2020 <laughs> in many ways. Um, but it started in March 2020, and you know the world was going to shit, and COVID was coming, and COVID was here, and we were all working from home at this point because everybody started understanding the threat as to what was going on. Everybody except one person, it seemed, Donald Trump, because we were watching the news from home. Uh, when we were far too tuned in to CNN and MSNBC and all the cable news stations, watching Trump give those horrendous press conferences day in and day out. Uh, 15 going down to zero. It's going to disappear like a miracle. And each day we just became more and more horrified as it was going on. And so we started to panic internally in text messages to the brothers. We were just like, you know, just sending rage texts. Like, what do we do? What's happening here? What's, what are we, are we going to like survive? Are we going to live? And finally, at some point, we're like, we got to do like something. I don't know what that something is. Like, we all had full time jobs. We have to do something about this. That's all I know. And at a certain point, I turned to the brothers and I said, instead of us complaining about this in text messages to one another, I said, what if we create a website, MidasTouch.com? At least we could write like blog posts and get our thoughts out and have an outlet for our rage. And maybe somebody will agree with us along the way as to what we think the crisis is right now. And so we started this website and we're getting decent hits, you know, nothing compared to what we were, but we built it up from zero followers to a hundred followers. And I remember every week going by, we got 250 followers, we got 400 followers, pretty cool. And being really excited about it. And then we started releasing these videos. Like Ben said, my, my background is in video editing. I um, worked for big uh, TV talk shows, um, doing video editing where I had to understand how to turn around video, polished video clips really quickly to go with the news cycle. I worked for the Ellen DeGeneres show. So on that show, it's, you know, you'd get into work in the morning. At a certain point, you get an assignment, could be at, you know, 10 a.m. And they'd say, we need this project done by, you know, 2 p.m. so that it airs on the show at 3 p.m. And that means you need a final approved. So that means you need a version that already went through like three rounds of notes. So that just trained me in a way that somehow editing cat videos and human interest pieces for Ellen somehow translated into doing political ads uh, against Trump and for Biden. And so we started making these videos and releasing them. The first one was one that uh, your listeners may have seen. It used Ronald Reagan's debate performance, uh, Are You Better Off? from his, um, you know, everything he said. And it contradicted, well, it contrasted the words that he was saying are you better off than you were four years ago um, with the realities that were going on during the Trump administration? And that video, basically, I put my phone down, I made lunch, I went back to my phone, and all of a sudden I had a billion notifications just just way down the list. And I was like, oh, what the heck just happened? That was crazy. And the video basically got like a million views in like 24 to 48 hours. And we were basically like, okay, that's the void. That's what people are missing. That's what people need. Like these videos. They're, that's what they're not seeing from, you know, the power structures, the DNC, whatever, what, what you may have it. And so we started making more and we made another and we made another and we made another. And then we made one called The Snake, which now has something like 10 million views, which became a really popular viral video about Trump. And then we just kind of went full steam ahead. Ultimately, we had to figure out like what is the best outlet for this? Like, how do we now take these videos and have real world effects, not only on digital spaces, which is important, but on maybe TV, maybe we could get a billboard up, maybe we could do mailers, maybe we could expand this into something larger. So we spoke with a billion attorneys and uh, everybody <laughs> gave us the same conclusion, which is like, you have to start a political action committee to which we responded. What the heck is a political action committee? I don't know what that even means. And, uh, you know, slowly but surely, we, we created our political action committee on May 15th. We made that the focus of our operation at that point. We really stopped doing the website as a news kind of blogging website and focused exclusively on making these ads. And from the ads, we turned those into basically our vision at that point was maybe we could get one billboard up in a swing state and that would be the coolest thing on the planet. But you know, because of just the way things grew, we were able to get TV ads up in every state, um, in swing states, billboards up, mailers. We ran a big on the ground door knocking campaign in Georgia. And it just has been like the experience of a lifetime. And then you fast forward that to sometime kind of towards the end of that summer, Sirius XM originally hit us up and they said, hey, do you guys want to do a radio show? And our initial comment was, sure, I, we don't know how to do that, but we'll do it <laughs> if, if you want to put us on your airwaves. Absolutely. 
And so we did that. And, uh, you know, ultimately that uh, was with Sirius for a little bit until we kind of decided at the new year that, hey, you know, let's bring this internally and build a network around this and build a podcast that's accessible, not only to subscribers, but that everybody can listen to and see what happens. And so our first episode of the Midas Touch podcast was actually, I believe, January 8th. Uh, 2021, right after the insurrection, um, and so that's what we kicked off with, with a you know nice insurrection. That's uh, as, as 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 we do, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, your timing. Yeah, first of all, <laughs> kick off of the pandemic, then kick off of yeah the the plot to overthrow the government. <laughs> Just you know, radical coincidences. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's really amazing. The the growth, the the upper mobility, the amount of people who listen to your stuff, watch your stuff and the skills that, you know, you bring in from as a litigator, as an editor, those things, having those things already, you know, in your quiver really was the perfect, really make the difference. It was the perfect combination of, of skills between me, Ben and Jordy. I got to acknowledge the elephant in the room here too. Jordy is currently not here and Jordy has rabid Jordy stands. And I just want to be aware that they're going to be vicious that Jordy's not here. Mm. I just want to say it's, it's, we're recording this at around 4 p.m. It's past Jordy's bedtime. He needs to get his beauty rest. So please understand, Jordy goes to sleep very early, and uh, you could blame Jordy for this and not the brothers. So Jordy's awake like for like four hours a day. He records <laughs> the podcast, then he goes to sleep. So you get him for. <laughs> Jordy's but, my kind of guy. Yeah, but uh, but in all <laughs> seriousness, the, the combination of of the skills of the brothers m- makes it all possible because Ben is very business minded and thirty thousand feet, you know, thinking and and is also super creative and brilliant. And Jordy, um, you know, is a brilliant marketer and helped cultivate this incredible f- fan community. I guess you could call it of just supporters called the Midas Mighty, who I just have so much love for. You might see if you're on Twitter, you might see people who have handles that say Midas and their name. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are like, oh, are those employees of yours? No, those are all just people who are supporters of us who believe in the the movement. And what that movement is about is democracy. It's it's pro-democracy. And that's really our one and only litmus test at the end of the day with Midas Touch is we don't really care where you are, where you are on the aisle. I mean, we consider ourselves more progressive, but we have really kind of stopped using that label because we think it's not really super helpful but we just need people who are pro-democracy right now i mean that's the existential battle yeah, right now you have fascists and the rest of us yeah. i mean that's kind of how it's going right now and and that is a challenge for a lot of people because a lot of people within the democratic party have very different ideas and very great ideas and they need to be debated and fleshed out but i feel like right now we just need to secure the democracy but again that sometimes feels like an excuse to you know to to put off those discussions and so I understand all the real and reasonable concerns that totally. people have out there. And and I, I love the way that you talk about them and address them without ignoring them. But, you know, the focus on the truth, I think, is what the biggest piece of this is. And now we're coming up here anytime. Now, it could be end of January, could be beginning of April. We haven't gotten a clear thing yet. We're going to start seeing these public hearings from the January 6th committee. And that's going to be like the truth Super Bowl, at least for... The insurrection, January 6th, events leading up to January 6th, the big lie, plot to overthrow the uh, election, plot to overturn electors from seven states, etc. We didn't get that for the Mueller investigation. We didn't get that for these prior past crimes from the administration. But we're going to get it in spades very soon. And I'm really looking forward to your coverage of it, your commentary on it, because this is where the truth is, where the rubber meets the road. When the truth comes out to the American public, it would put pressure on the Department of Justice to act if they aren't already. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree 100%. I'm excited for the public hearings. And I think, honestly, think that, you know, I, I guess I see maybe some parallels, but I think the comparisons between what we're seeing with the January 6th committee and Garland to Mueller are just incredibly off base. I think I just think it's just completely different. And people always say to me when, you know, I'm, I'm talking about January 6th related things and, and DOJ, they say, well, we all saw what happened. Bill Barr, you know, hid the Mueller. I'm like, is Bill Barr in the DOJ right now? Like, like what do you think? <laughs> you think Garland's going to hide his own case? Like, I don't understand those comparisons at the end of the day. Oh, well, in 2022, you know, if if Republicans win, then this is all over. It's all over. And and they're going to be able to impeach Biden and impeach. Com- I'm like, no, like, no. no, the investigation is going to go on. I mean, I, I share 
I believe me, I share everyone's frustrations and I want to see, you know, people in handcuffs and I want to see people indicted. Like I share, I understand where that comes from, but I think, you know, I, I, I think we have to be honest though with the process and not just be so quick to rage click and rage retweet and understand that these are, you know, people who know what they're doing and, and have a little bit of faith in the process. Yeah. And that shit seems like an op to me. We know right now we are currently under social media misinformation attacks from Russia, China. And what are those attacks? Everyone's like, oh, they must have disappeared. It's not about anything. You know, they must know it's it's about disenfranchising, disillusioning voters, making you think your vote doesn't matter, bringing despair down and 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 making people. It's about the vision. I mean, yeah, making people think, oh, well, you know, why do I even vote? Uh, if uh, we can't hold our bad guys accountable, that's where it's going. And I, it seems very plain as day to me, but I, I love that you're combating that. I think you may have said this the other day, but it was a comment that rang so true to me. It's, I believe it was you. You said something like, if your kind of litmus test to vote is if somebody was arrested, like that is a weird way to look at the world. And my fear with the January 6th public hearings, my one little fear is that people think that these hearings are there for arrests, that the January 6th committee is going to come through and they're going to start locking people up and they perp walk in. And I'm like, this is a, a research investigative committee. They could make referrals to DOJ, but they are not going to be arresting people and locking people up. So I'm already seeing a little bit of writing on the wall of people being disappointed that there are no arrests during these live hearings and and all this stuff. But that's why I want to kind of set the stage and say that's not going to happen. That's common. And I think Ben knows this as a a former litigator. You, you, You smoke out that sting, right? You set everyone up for disappointment by saying charge Bannon with treason. And then when Bannon only gets charged with obstructing a proceeding, everyone goes, Fuck Merrick Garland. He fucked us over. You, that should be treason. And so they're, they're just setting up for disappointment. I think we all need to sort of temper our expectations. Justice rarely looks the way we want it to look viscerally. But I, I believe and have faith that it's happening. Fonnie Willis said the other day, who's an excellent prosecutor. Yeah. She said, look, be patient. Live your lives. She goes, go on, live your lives. <laughs> <laughs> and just trust that you elected somebody who's working. Which, on by the way, I understand that's difficult in an age of Twitter where you're getting fed a billion things a day. I, I get it, but it's true. I mean, it's true. Like uh, sometimes it's best maybe put down the uh, you know put down the iPhone, step away, take a breather, enjoy your life, and trust that you know things are going to happen. And, and that doesn't mean don't criticize. Nope. You should definitely be criticizing. Yep. You should definitely be holding people's feet to the fire. But uh, you know. Uh, this sort of outrage, you know, retweet if you demand justice right now and retweet if tr- I mean, you're just going to you're going to set yourself up to just drive yourself crazy at the end of the day. Yeah, I know. I agree. Well, gentlemen, I'm I'm looking forward to what uh, what the future holds. If if Omicron chills for a minute, maybe we can all meet up in uh, D.C. for these hearings. Oh, my gosh. I might I might be someone's plus one. I may be able to get us into the actual. <laughs> so. You know, let's let's talk offline about about what we can do in the future to help keep bringing these honest discussions. And again, like I said, recognizing the real and reasonable concerns, because, you know, politics abhors a vacuum. The DOJ by by design has to be quiet. Right. And when you're quiet and slow, you're 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 open for attack. And so I think we just have to kind of all recognize that when you're quiet and slow. Trust me, I know because I well, I'm not quiet, but. Anyway, I, I'm looking forward to working with you guys. Midas Touch, tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, listen to your shows, etc. You can listen to the Midas Touch podcast anywhere you find podcasts. And we have a whole network of podcasts, which you can find if you go to Apple Podcasts or, or check our Twitter feed. We got one called Kremlin File, which is about Russian relations and Putin and the rise of authoritarianism. We have one called Zoomed In, which is a podcast uh, by Gen Z, but for everybody, Zoomers, as they, uh, I guess, refer to themselves, these ki- kids these days. And uh, we... <laughs> We got uh, the Politics Girl podcast. Uh, Lee McGowan. Oh, she's the, a, she's great, she's, dude. She is brilliant. She's absolutely incredible and one of the best messengers I think that's like ever existed. Like I was going to say in the Democratic Party, I think she's one of the clearest, the most concise, incredible messengers. Politics Girl podcast. The Influence Continuum is a new podcast we just launched with um, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Oh, he's great too. I've I've spoken with him 
he's been here on the beans and he's just absolutely the depth of knowledge former mooney the depth of knowledge yeah. he has about cults and how it applies to trumpism is insane anyway i won't go through the entire network to bore bore you bore you right now but check out the midas touch podcast uh, anywhere you get podcasts and go to midastouch.com follow us at midas touch on all social platforms and uh, i just want to say you know thank you allison and Thanks for all you're doing. You keep me sane on a on a daily basis. I love Daily Beans. I love that you've created this just powerhouse of a female-driven, uh, female-owned podcast network, which I think is really unique and special. And you have such a clear voice. And I'm just so grateful for all you're doing for for our democracy and just to get all the information out there. Samezies, samezies. Thank it. you, Brett. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? Everyone, then good news, everyone. Good news. And if you have any good news or corrections, confessions, you want to play any of the games that we play, send in Halloween photos. I take them all year. Or just <laughs> pet tags. <laughs> hey, gee, it's almost February. Not really. Why am I living in February? Maybe it's because when they say supposedly Omicron will be less uh, less oppressive. I don't know, but I'm already in February. You're just projecting yourself ahead to maybe better. Oh, times. I'm project. Yeah. Yes, a hundred percent. If you have anything you want to send to us, we welcome it. You can do that at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And uh, it's Friday. That means Amy's with us, as you can hear and know from the first segment. And uh, I'm very excited about this. So let's kick this off with a first note from Avery. Pronouns he and him. Dear Beans Queens, many thanks for providing the dosage of snark that I desperately need in the mornings. This is part of correction and part venting. I was befuddled by the recent episode podcast title Polyamorous Obstruction and the included claim that Matt Gates was in a polyamorous relationship. Matt Gates, polyamorous? I thought maybe there was a joke there, but the humor never came. Hmm. Fluid polyamory is about radical honesty, openness, respect, and authenticity. Polyamorism is a shedding of societal norms and cultural expectations, placing a high value on people's autonomy and ditching the tiresome hierarchical relationship structures and culturally predetermined relationship types. Matt Gates having multiple relationships doesn't make him polyamorous. It means he was he found a way to manipulate and entrap people in several ways simultaneously. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is particularly evident since the person you referred to in the pod is being implicated in his crimes. Enlisting multiple people to help with his sex trafficking schemes doesn't make Matt Gates polyamorous. We would call the former guy polyamorous too. Yep. And even if Matt Gates were polyamorous which is highly doubtful, and I'm not aware that he ever claimed to be, by including that qualifier in the story feels like an intentional degradation of polyamorism specifically. Now, I hope you include the qualifier of a monogamist every time a monogamous (laughs) person is guilty of crimes, especially those related to sexual abuse. As a queer polyamorous person, I rarely see myself represented respectfully in pop culture and the media. It's almost always through negative commentary and Mm -hmm. almost never, including today's pod, represented accurately. Keep up the good work. I hope you can clarify what it means to be polyamorous to your listeners. I think you just did. Yeah. Avery. P.S. Attaches my pet tax sprocket. 14-year-old beagle mix. Extra points oh. if you can guess the mix. Oh, I'm going to check. Oh, boy. Sprocket's health has been declining these past couple of years, but I'm incredibly grateful that he continues to be my pandemic buddy during these challenging times. Now, Avery, oh. the reason I had said that was because I had read in an interview that his ex-girlfriend had qualified their relationship as such. Mm. Now, it has nothing to do with any of this, however, and so it shouldn't have to be a qualifier. I, I, you're right. You know, I didn't think about that. It's certainly not ethical non-monogamy to jump on a three-way call with an underage person that you've raped and try to trick her into not talking to the authorities. Yes. That's un- unethical non-monogamy. But there are differences. There are differences between ethical non-monogamy and polyamory. I mean, there, you know, there are differences. And so I'm very glad that you brought this up. And I would like to apologize for belittling it in any way. It was certainly not my intention. And I, I think you know that by uh, it seems in, in your writing here. But, you know, if I caused you any hurt or anything like that, I'm certainly sorry. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have friends that are polyamorous or that I've been in ethical non-monogamous relationships because none of that needs to be qualified. There's no defense for the reality of your feelings about this particular situation and this particular thing. So I'm going to make a note to change the title of that episode. Oh, cool. And um, so we can correct that so we can write that wrong. And I really appreciate you writing in with this. 
Yeah, thanks for taking the time to educate us. I also have very little experience with polyamory, and I don't, you know, I learned something today, so I'm very grateful. Next up, we have Robin, correction, Lima, Ohio. Oh, shit. Oh, it's pronounced with a long I, as in lima bean, not Mm -hmm. as in Lima, Peru. Okay, Mm -hmm. FYI. I should know that. I should know that. Being from Ohio. Oh, you're from Ohio? Okay. Oh, my goodness. That's true. Although I don't know how to pronounce every town in Florida, but yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. I would have said Lima because of Peru. So there's that. FYI, Glee takes place in a fictionalized version of Lima. Thank you for your work. And thanks for the news and the laugh since the kitchen days. Why is it fiction? Oh, it's because they didn't actually shoot there. So maybe they're like the exteriors didn't look like Lima. Yeah, must be. Got it. Must be. Okay. Uh, that was a short one. So why don't you go ahead and take the next one too? Okay. Next one is from Laura. Pronouns she, her. I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels like 2021 was a little bit of a blur. And while it wasn't all shitty, it did take some pot shots. Oh, yeah, totally. My mom's fight with congestive heart failure landed her in the hospital multiple times. But thankfully, she and my dad have come up with a whole system of spreadsheets to track meds and vitals and approximately 57 grab bars mounted around the house. Oh, grab bars to keep her at home and as healthy as possible. Then this summer, my pod kitty hashtag center of my universe, Esteban or Esteban, had one of his eyes suddenly go very wonky. We treat one thing, it would exacerbate another. And while his fate was better than that of his nickname from the Life Aquatic. Okay, so I think he said Esteban in Life Aquatic because it's one of my favorite movies. Who was tragically (laughs) eaten by a shark. The eye ultimately had to go. I'm very happy to say he is now the most handsome, fuzziest, one-eyed pirate kitty on the block. Besides all that, 2021 dished up some truly bright spots too. Like that magical day in March when I practically skipped to get my first COVID vax at the clinic around the corner from my house. And May, when I got to hug my parents for the mm. first time in a year and a half. Oh, It's been hard to keep my spirits up, but I do what I can, especially spending time outdoors around my beautiful hometown of San Diego. Oh, hey. <laughs> for pod tax attached are photos of Esteban, dread pirate of the high seas. <laughs> wow. Bad pirate accent. Hiding in his cardboard pirate ship. And Dread yes, that is pirate a tiny of the high seas. High seas. And yes, that is a tiny Jason Momoa in the corner. It's a long story. <laughs> and as extra pod tax, I've sent a photo from my latest adventure to a llama farm. Please don't say anything about about her wig. I hear they're very sensitive about their hair. Oh boy, oh, I, I like that wig myself. I think that's great hair. Oh, we don't see anything. Look at the kitty oh. with Momoa. And there, Aww. what a sweetie. Oh, what a sweetie pie. What a beautiful cat. Oh, so floof. Looks like a little seal point rag doll or something. So cute. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sending that in. Next up from Chris, pronouns he and him. Hi, Beans Queens. Longtime listener from way back in the kitchen days. I'm writing with a mixed bag of news and a large pet tax to make up for it. First, <laughs> the bad news. Just a few months after turning 40 last year, I was diagnosed with stage oh. three colon cancer just two weeks before Christmas. Mm-hmm. I went through a whole roller coaster of emotions, but my family and my partner feels weird to call a grown woman my girlfriend mm-hmm. are incredibly supportive and I'm coping much better now. Now on to the good news. One, your podcast has been a bright spot of comedy for me the past few weeks as I've been undergoing treatment, but I made it through the first round of chemotherapy and I still have all my hair. Amazing. I'm also finally moving out of my parents' house after getting stuck there after leaving an emotionally abusive relationship. I'm so glad you got out of that. Wow. Finances in the pandemic had kept me there, but the partner and I got a condo so we can finally have a place of our own. That's so great. And close is pet tax of my parents' menagerie, starting at the top Mm -hmm. left and going across. Boots with the fur, a majestic (laughs) tuxedo, whom we adopted from my younger brother while he was going through a rough patch. Ty Ty, one half (laughs) of our Siamese tabby twins. Ella, our chonky tabby. Shishi, the other Siamese tabby toughie. And Nigel, our bicolors. And our Maltese Poodle Mix, Oliver. Wow. That is a menagerie. Additional good news and is my once troubled brother has gotten sober, moved out west mm. with my other brother, and has really gotten his life back on track. And our relationship is stronger than ever. That's so great. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Lots to wow. Look at that all is... these aminals. Look at all these aminals. 
Mm-hmm. Also, I don't know if this is like good advice, but I, I one of my girlfriends went through chemo and radiation uh, for breast cancer. Thankfully, she's cancer free. But I remember her uh, doing some posts about wearing like not frozen packs. Look this up, but something like wearing like a frozen pack on her eyebrows and her and her head hmm. to preserve as much hair as possible. And I know that the eyebrows for sure, she was able to keep all of her eyebrows, which was amazing. That's interesting. Yeah. So maybe look that up. I'm not sure how that works, but I remember a post about it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right. You got the last one today, Amy. Bring us home. Okay. Here we go from Andrea. Oh, excuse me. Andrea. Pronouns she, her. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Beans Teams. Beans teams, I guess there's more than one team. I don't know. (laughs) I'm so grateful for your show every day. It keeps me grounded and laughing and holds me back from the edge of news-related despair. I hear you. So to hopefully hold you back too, I have a rather silly correction. I heard on the show some discussion on the accuracy of the expression batshit. (laughs) Oh boy. It was suggested that the term, that the correct term is actually guano. I've heard that from a movie Mm -hmm. from uh, Ace Ventura. And yes, that is indeed the most precise, correct term. However, I argue as a real certified biologist, even though I study bugs, not bats, that the shit in bat shit is technically an umbrella term for a wide variety of fecal excrement. Oh, no. (laughs) Including but not limited to guano, manure, cow patty. Oh, stop. Horse pucky, doggy duty and the like. Just as the umbrella term critter, verment. And the like include all manner of small animals. So does the term shit encompass a broad range of types of excrement. As long as it's a digestive waste exiting the anus. (laughs) Just couldn't get through that. Or cloaca. Is that how you say that? Sure. That's a debate for another time. I think we can call it shit. So while less precise than guano, which specifies a certain texture accumulation, I don't know. I'm no scatologist. Oh, boy. Skatoologist. Nope. Scatologist. You got it. You Scat- got it. You had okay, it right Okay. Scatologist. That shit is an equally correct term. And I argue a far superior verbal expression of frustration than bat guano. So you may take this to Amy's court should argument remain. Dun, dun. Mm. And now <laughs> speaking of Amy. What really got me on to finally writing you was the chance to share my Shira Halloween costume that I waited 15 years to finally have the right party to make it for. Amazing. The theme for the party was heroes. Yes, I was so excited. Yes, it's an old school Shira, but the one I loved as a kid, which I am so stoked, has been made anew for a new generation. Also included are my sweet fur baby Seymour, the 21, am I reading that right? (laughs) 21-pound kitty boy who was found under a restaurant dumpster as a kitten, but clearly is no longer starving. (laughs) And our big, sweet doggo Roly, Raleigh, like Collie, who we unfortunately lost to cancer all on, yes, really, January 6th, 2021. Mm. Oh, cross your fingers that we connect with just the right dog to complete our home in 2022. I know we will. Thank you for everything. Look at this rad costume. Wow. Oh my gosh, this costume is amazing. Right? The oh, hair, I love it. The sword. She got the it sword all. is really something. She I love that. The and collie. The kitty and the collie. Oh, look. Little. Yeah, Bromther wants loops. That's what's happening in that photo. <gasps> oh, yep. I gotta zoom in. Oh, no, it's not loops. I thought it might have been loops. What is it? Rice, quinoa. It looks delicious, whatever it is. I don't know. But Kitty wants some. Bromther wants some from Bromther. OMG. I can't believe that. I just, I just said, tried to say the word cloaca. Cloaca? <laughs> cloaca looks is that good just, to me. Is that, a, is that just a term for asshole? Some I don't know, Andrea. Butthole. Let us know. know. Is, is asshole, can we, is this, is, I think this is an umbrella term as well. Bat shit from a bat asshole, I think is fine, really. <laughs> I mean, huh. But I I did learn that in Ace Ventura, but the one that they go to Africa, I don't know if that's like number three or number two. Now, just get all my. mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to go back up to to Avery's submission because he 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 actually said guests are the mix of the beagle mix and and i think we failed oh yeah i think we failed oh we didn't yeah we didn't guess is it a um blue healer oh australian cattle dog 
Oh, I don't know, but he's such a cute little baby. Let us know, Does Avery. it say? Do- no, it doesn't say. Yeah, let us know. Oh, what a cute baby. We had a beagle, Sammy. Sammy Aww. boy. Hound dog. I needed some of this good news. Yeah, me too. And thanks for that thoughtful submission, Avery. And thanks to everybody for your submissions, especially this llama wig. Absolutely one of my favorite things I've seen in a long time. <laughs> if you have anything you want to send in to us, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Amy, do you have any final thoughts before we head into the weekend? Um, It's a freaking weekend, baby. And I'm going to stay indoors because of fucking COVID. Still doing it. <laughs> um, Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that Dr. Fauci's prediction of it kind of making its way downtown by the end of uh, January will be correct. But we'll oh, see. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. And in the meantime, I hope everyone's vaxxed and boosted. Yes, wears a mask, an N95 or KN95 mask. And um, this weekend, you know, we've got the first couple chapters of the book Corruptible by Brian Kloss. I'll be covering that on the MSW Book Club. And Lincoln's Bible is going to be joining me for Muller She Wrote. So you definitely want to check that out. And uh, of course, Dana will be back Monday morning for the beans and we'll see what kind of shit goes down on Friday. <laughs> we do have our happy hour at 4 p.m. Pacific time for patrons. If you aren't a patron and want to be one and you want to get these shows, all those shows that I do ad free, you can do that at patreon.com slash Miller. She wrote. So anybody until Sunday, when we talk again, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG and I've been Amy Carrero and them's the beans. Refried beans. I like refried beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch you will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.